What do Jerome Bettis, Dennis Rodman, Martin Scorsese, and Billy Joel have in common? You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jacqueline Pongrasik. Dr. Pongrasik is an Associate Professor of Pediatrics and Medicine at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine and Head of the Division of Allergy and Immunology at Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago, Illinois. She is a Principal Investigator for the NIH Inner City Anti-IgE Therapy for Asthma Mechanistic Study. Hi, Dr. Pongrasik. Thanks so much for joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Hi, Dr. Rutenberg. Thanks for having me today. Want to guess the answer to the question? <laughs> They're all from New York? Well, they all have asthma, and they all started out in the inner city. Oh, very nice. The study you're doing is focusing on children from the inner city with, it sounds like, moderately severe or moderate persistent asthma. Is that the correct designation at this point? That's correct. And you are accepting uh, referrals from physicians in the community. How would you like them to contact you? What I would recommend is that physicians give our study office a call. Our number is 773-327-3701. And if someone isn't available, we have uh, voicemails and we'll have somebody get back to them as soon as possible. How long have you been recruiting children for the study and how long will the study go on? We've been recruiting for the study for about one year. We have two more months left for the recruitment phase of the study. And how many more children would you like to bring into the study at this point? We'd like to bring in 40 more children. We have 23 enrolled at this time. So for our listening audience, give Dr. Pongrasik a call. This is very exciting because this is a new and upcoming therapy. Do you feel that anti-IgE will play a role in the routine management of those children with, say, moderately persistent asthma and more severe? Is this likely to be a standard of care? I think that our study will certainly help to determine this, Dr. Rutenberg. The studies that have been done up till now have mainly focused on adults, but they've shown very encouraging results with a reduction in exacerbations of asthma, reduction in the dosage of inhaled corticosteroids needed to maintain control, and even a reduction in the need for rescue medication use. I'm confident that this will be very useful for children, particularly inner-city children, because this is a drug that's very effective for individuals with allergic asthma, and kids tend to have allergic asthma, and inner-city kids tend to be exposed to higher concentrations of very, very potent allergens, such as cockroach and mouse. It is very hard to control exposure to these types of pests, as you can imagine. And so that's where having a treatment that can really help to overcome the difficulties with allergen exposure is so important. Who's funding the study, actually? This study is being funded by the National Institutes of Health and with Novartis Pharmaceuticals, the developer of Zolaire. Do you find any conflict or difficulty in the dealing with the physician industry relationships, obviously, Novartis has a lot to gain if the study is successful. That's certainly true. I think that the company has been extremely uh, gracious and considerate to work with because one of the 
sub-studies, or I should say one of the goals of this study is not just to see if their product works, but to find out how it works. So we actually are doing studies to look at the mechanisms by which it may exert its effect. And I think that, you know, if the company only had the almighty dollar in mind, they might not let us do as much investigation as we're doing. So there's some basic science work you're doing along with the study? Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about what the specific studies are? Obviously, I'm sure you're looking at IgE levels since you're giving an anti-IG, but are you looking at any other cellular mechanistic changes? Yes, in the various centers that are involved with the basic science studies, and that would include Chicago, Cleveland, Dallas, and New York, we are looking at uh, mechanisms down to the cellular and intracellular level by which anti-IG may be working. Since that's probably not double-blinded, or maybe it is, can you give any preliminary information on what might be the mechanism? No, I'm sorry, I can't. I think at this point we don't have enough numbers to even be able to start to comment on that, though. Now, the patients themselves, is it difficult to get them to come in regularly for treatment? Well, we try to work with the families to offer after-school appointments so the children don't have to miss school for their study visits. We also try to provide transportation to families who need it. You know, as you can imagine, people are very stressed. People have busy lifestyles. Sometimes these are single-parent families. Or there may even be other children at home that the parent needs to take care of. So we try to offer transportation to make it easier on the family so that they don't have to worry about how to get to the bus that takes them to the subway, that takes them to the study office. We also try to provide some activities for the children while they're here so that they can feel engaged and not feel that they are just having to do something where they may not be feeling very productive. How long does the child actually have to stay at the study center? How long is a visit? Visits vary depending on the study activities. On injection visits, which are visits where they come in and just receive their study drug injection, They have to stay for two hours for the first three injections because there is a small risk of anaphylaxis to Zolaire. But after the third injection visit is completed, then they only have to stay for 30 minutes. I'd like to pause for a moment and welcome those who are just joining us. You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Jacqueline Pongrasik, head of the Division of Allergy and Immunology at Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago. We're discussing the inner-city anti-IgE therapy for asthma study. So the children are there for varying periods of time. If the study turns out to be successful, will they be able to continue to receive Zolaire? Currently, children who are already enrolled in the study will be offered Zolaire in an open-phase design. However, kids who will be referred to the study and possibly enrolled from here on out will not be eligible for an open-phase treatment plan because we basically don't have enough time left before the study is completed. So there are some budgetary considerations that have played into that. Will Zolaire be covered by insurance or Medicaid or S-CHIP? I mean, here are these kids, you know, let's be optimistic and say the study's successful. Man, you got better. Now, guess what? No more medicine for you. Uh, What's going to happen to these kids who, you know, hopefully will have seen great benefits? I'm hopeful that we can work with the insurance companies in order to allow the children to continue to receive Zolaire after the study is over, particularly if we show that they have benefited from the use of this medication. As a pediatrician, I know how difficult it is to get patients with rheumatic fever to come in for monthly injections of bicillin. You can see how what an old pediatrician I am. <laughs> um, is it reasonable to expect that inner-city children where 
Obviously, transportation's a factor. Hard for any parent anywhere to give up a day's pay to bring your child in for a visit and an injection and then have to wait 30 to 60 minutes afterwards. Is it reasonable to expect that Zolaire will become a practical treatment for children, again, especially from the inner cities? Or It's certainly something that we need to consider if this drug turns out to be effective. And I think that uh, possibilities would include making it uh, more available at neighborhood clinics, which might be easier for folks to get to, perhaps engaging home health services in going to the patients' homes to administer the product. You know, one of the advantages of this, because it's an injection, is that it's a direct observed therapy. And as you know, just from your reference regarding the bicillin, sometimes we need that to ensure that a person is really receiving the medication that could make a big, big difference. And when you think about inhaled corticosteroids and you think about the need for individuals to take these on a twice a day basis every single day, well, you can imagine that it could be very, very hard to stick to that kind of schedule. And so it might be that having an alternative that can be administered once a month might turn out to be more attractive to people than taking daily medication. You know, I, I think time will tell. Certainly in our study, we also plan to look at quality of life outcomes and try to assess how the families perceive this type of therapy compared to medical therapy. Speaking about quality of life, I understand that education is a part of your treatment protocol. Have you seen any other benefits in terms of maybe lifestyle change? Has the education factor shown any improvement in healthcare quality of life, or have you looked at that? We have not looked at that per se in this study, but other asthma studies have certainly shown that even individuals who are randomized to the placebo arm of an intervention seem to get better. And you know, there's certainly the placebo effect that could account for this. But it's also possible that these individuals are receiving more attention, particularly with regard to adherence to medication, to using their inhaler devices properly, and just basically learning good habits with each and every visit. So I think that there are ways people can benefit even from basic asthma education. Have you run into any stumbling blocks or any frustrations along the way? Well, stumbling blocks certainly have included the fact that it's been a little difficult to recruit for the study, perhaps because of the length of the study and the time commitment involved. Also, we found that kids' asthma is really being better controlled than it used to be. And I think this sort of fits with some of the data that's coming in nationally where we're starting to see a decline in asthma mortality. You know, we have better medications now than we used to. And so I think we're really doing a better job at controlling symptoms. And as a result, we've had a little terrible trying to find kids who had sufficient level of symptoms to qualify for the study. A little pearl for our primary care doctors. You mentioned better medications. Advair is another one that, you know, is on the FDA hit list. Any feelings there or advice you can give to the audience? Yeah, so it's interesting you bring that up because this Advair issue certainly weighed heavy on our minds as we were designing this protocol. And we certainly did debate whether at what point in the guidelines regard to therapy, should we be introducing medications like CeraVent or medications that include these long-acting beta agonists, which seem to be associated with some significant risks, including deaths in some studies. You know, one pearl I would offer is that I would really consider strongly making sure that the child's asthma triggers are addressed, 
making sure that they are effectively taking their medication, and really trying to maximize the dosage and the use of inhaled corticosteroids before adding a long-acting beta agonist. I think that's very, very important. You know, speaking of the FDA, Zolaire also came under FDA scrutiny and received an FDA alert because it turned out that post-marketing analysis showed that there was slightly higher incidence of anaphylaxis to Zolaire than was originally appreciated. So the original uh, pivotal studies found that there was an anaphylaxis rate of 1 in 1,000 patients, and the post-marketing data has shown that it's actually 2 in 1,000 patients. So that is one reason why we've decided to extend the observation period for monitoring to try to maximize safety in this study. I'd like to thank you very much for your time. We've been speaking with Dr. Jacqueline Pungrasek and discussing the NIH-funded inner-city anti-IgE therapy for asthma study. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and enjoy our on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Thanks for listening. I wish you good day and good health.